Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhower. Chris, today is the last day of the Team Profile series. Took us all summer, deliberately so, but we are here with the last four teams that we're going to talk about today, which is Washington, stupid football team, Steelers, Bucks, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, saving some of the best for last, it seems. Absolutely. Well, we, we went we went from, if you guys didn't notice, we went from the last place teams all the way up to the first place teams. That's kind of how we did this. My idea was that it would lead us in the first week of training camp talking about some of the high-flying profile fantasy football teams that we're going to be getting into. Before we do that, though, because we have, because it is training camp and there's more news about, and there was some news we couldn't talk about in yesterday's show because we had a lot we had to get to. So we're going to make room for it here. Breaking news. Couple things to get off the top. First off, let's talk about Dak Prescott and the shoulder strain. There were actually a couple different reports. So when the report first came out, they were it was a big concern for a lot of people because they're saying he might miss a few weeks, where he might miss most of, if not all, the training camp, possibly even be questionable for week one. He gets the MRI, comes back not as severe as they thought. So that's the good news. He's listed as day to day. The Cowboys came out and said they believe that if he just gets a few days of rest, they believe he will be fine and maybe even okay before their first preseason game. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely scary there for a minute where you thought that Prescott could be in jeopardy missing the opener, maybe have a prolonged injury. It's great the MRI was showed up basically negative. It's hopefully just a strain. The rest should be good for him, and hopefully he'll be back you know, out there in no time, kind of trying to make Dallas' offense. We, we, we both love Dallas' offense and their production and what they could be this year. To me, Dak Prescott's my top three quarterback. I'm hoping to keep him there. I don't want to see him get hurt. I don't want to see him have this be a prolonged thing. So hopefully it's just a strain you know, where he's back out there in no, in no time. Well, yeah, I mean, not just us, but everybody has been salivating at the mouth at the thought of what the Dallas Cowboy offense could be after that first five-game stretch last year with all of these weapons. Don't take it away from us now that we finally have this year that we've been looking forward to. Don't don't get hurt again with something else, especially after you just signed your big contract. My goodness, no. So good. the second report coming out after getting the MRI, definitely good news there on that front. Two other things I, I think- want to... 
Good. I was gonna say, I do think it makes it really interesting to see Dallas doesn't have any Dalton backing up this year. So that no. backup quarterback position is gonna be really important for Dallas now. And you're gonna kind of see that be something they have to really think about when you look at what who's gonna be out there now. There was a separate report actually coming out that talked about that fact that the Cowboys kind of looking at their backup quarterbacks like, ooh. We're kind of in trouble if something does happen to Dak this year. So be on the lookout. The Cowboys might make a move for a backup quarterback at some point during training camp. I wouldn't surprise me. The other two pieces of news that I want to talk about that we didn't get to talk about yesterday, Zach Ertz, he looks like he's actually going to stay on the roster. I didn't believe that it was going to happen. I really didn't. I thought for sure he would get traded somewhere for something. But whether it was the Eagles asking for too much in return or whether it was Zach Ertz's contract or whatever the case may be, it doesn't look like they're going to get a deal done with anybody. And now the Eagles are pivoting and saying that they're actually expecting Zach Ertz to be on the roster week one. So, Chris, just give me the fantasy analysis on this between him and a Dallas Goddard. I don't think it affects Dallas Goddard. My people but really think it's going to. Some people think is, you know Ertz is going to still be heavily involved in this offense. I think those days are over. I think there's a reason he didn't get traded. I don't think the asking price was too high. I think basically teams do not want to pay him this money. The Eagles can't eat the money because of their salary cap issues that they have right now. And basically, I think Ertz kind of realized he wasn't going to get that anywhere else. Nobody really thinks he's very productive right now. He had a terrible year last year. He had no explosiveness. He showed very little out there on the field. But Dallas Goddard continued to be sent as a player. So I think basically Goddard is still going to be the man in the tight end position. I don't really think it hinders him much about Ertz playing there. I think they kind of shows you the signs that Gertz's career is probably coming to an end soon. Yeah, I'm with you, and I don't think this affects Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard is my tight end six in half-point PPR leagues. I had already had him statted out just in case with the idea that Zach Ertz is going to be there. I have him actually on a 65-35 split. I think this, this became Dallas Goddard's job last year with the poor play of Zach Ertz and being that Goddard's been rising in his talent and his development every single season. I think this is his job, his tight end group this year. And I have him as a tight end six because Jalen Hurts really targeted the crap out of him a season ago. I think that probably continues again. So I'm not worried about Goddard's value because Zach Ertz is going to continue to hang around. I mean, Zach Ertz himself kind of has to prove that he's not done because if you look at last season, it looked like he completely fell off a cliff. Who's to say that's just not what he is now as an overpaid tight end? So I do think this is Dallas Goddard's job. The other piece of news I want to talk about before we jump into our first team of the day is Michael Carter running with the first team. Chris is somebody you and I have been very big on. We actually talked about him a little bit in yesterday's episode, too. We Everyone kept saying, you know, everyone knew Michael Carter was going to get his opportunity. The question was, you know, how soon was it going to be? Is it in a three-man committee with Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson? And you and I kept reiterating the same thing over and over and over again. We could see Tevin Coleman in the beginning of the season getting some work because of his familiarity with the offense. But a couple things. One, he's not as talented at this point in his career as Michael Carter. Two, he can't really stay healthy. And then the third thing would be Ty Johnson's just a guy. Michael Perrine's just a guy. Michael Carter is very talented and fits this offense very well. We've been very confident that he would get the opportunity to start early and possibly week one, and it's shaping up to be that way because he got more first-team reps with the first team than Tevin Coleman did so far through training camp. So it's looking like it's going Michael Carter's way, which is the right move for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's clearly the most talented back in the backfield. I think it would surprise some people, not us necessarily, but others, was how he has a great ability catching the ball. I think they, they wanted to kind of give Ty Johnson that pass-catching aspect that he'd be involved in because he can be a good pass-catcher in the backfield. But when 
Michael Carter showed that he's actually even a better route runner than Ty Johnson and is better at getting open underneath. Then they would basically, what's the point of Ty Johnson? As you say, he's just a guy. Perrine happened to me last year, did nothing with it. I mean, he basically is a guy to me as well. Coleman is the only guy that you kind of worry about because he has a familiarity with the offense because he has, still has some explosiveness, still has some ability. But even if he has put some carries with him, it doesn't hurt Michael Carter's value. We saw him be high productive splitting in backfield in North Carolina. There's no reason he shouldn't be so productive. And this year, I think already you're seeing who's clearly the most talented guy back there. I guess we should also mention, because of the Jets, a couple more things. Why not? Uh, Zach Wilson, as of yesterday, finally signed his contract. He is in the building. And uh, Denzel Mims, somebody who's been very interesting, has been running with the second team offense throughout training camp, something stemming over from OTAs. Just kind of throw that in there. But I just want to go back to Michael Carter real quickly. I got him as a running back 31. I think he definitely has a range where I'm probably going to boost him up a little bit more. Now it's being solidified. He's going to get a good shot to start week one. So I'll probably move him up a little bit. He does have some upside, especially with his explosiveness games. And I'm with you. I think the big thing is that they realize, you know what? Michael Carter's better than Ty Johnson as a pass catcher. Why even bother as far as actually putting these guys in a committee? Now, will these other guys get some work? I think they will just because of the nature of the offense. From what I understand, Michael LaFour will be Shanahan-esque to a degree. I don't think he's going to rotate the running backs in the same way that a Shanahan does, but he will sprinkle in a couple guys here and there. I don't think, I mean, Michael Carter is not a guy who's going to be getting 20 touches, I believe, in a game, but 15 in that offense, I think is very plausible. And I think puts him really on a path to be a strong running back with some upside, a a strong RB3 certainly, but I think definitely potential to be an RB2. So just kind of reiterate, that point, but that's also what's going on with the Jets. Zach Wilson finally in the building. That's big with them getting through training camp. And then Denzel Mims, like I said, we're watching him, but it looks like more and more that he really truly might wind up being a backup to uh, I can't believe it, but uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Guy who played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I hate Keelan Cole. Uh, he might be a backup to Keelan Cole. I don't understand it, but it seems like this regime is not sold on Denzel Mims. I think the key thing that I keep hearing about it is the blocking um, ability. Which of, makes of, sense with the system they're coming Keelan from. Cole. Yeah, we, we saw basically Kenyon Bourne kind of fill that role for the 49ers. There was other more talented receivers on the 49ers, but they then they moved. They didn't use Pettis a lot because Pettis wasn't a great blocker. We saw Bourne kind of get that role. So I kind of think that you kind of see Keelan Cole get his opportunity because he's a good blocker. And he also got a decent contract. I think that's also makes it a little bit interesting to see how it unfolds as well. Yeah, we'll see how all that breaks down. Ultimately, though, when it comes to the wide receivers, I still have Corey Davis being the number one guy, uh, mostly because I don't expect Jamison Crowder to stay healthy. We know Crowder's going to stay there and get involved. Really, the question is, when does Elijah Moore's turn come, and how interesting will he be? Uh, that's more where I'm keeping my eye on with the Jets. But big news there about Michael Carter. The only disappointing thing about that for me is that now Michael Carter's ADP is probably going to be on the rise, and I was really hoping to get him for a bargain deal. So, that part, as a fantasy player, kind of kills me a little bit, but I'm glad mm. Michael Carter's getting the recognition that he, in fact, does deserve. So before we jump into our first team of the day, which is the Washington football team, ugh, I think I'm going to probably do that every single year, say Washington football mm-hmm. team and say, ugh, right after. We got to talk about our sponsor for the first segment of today's show, which is Symbol. Wall Street meets sports gambling in its innovative app. Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams 
So when your teams win, you win a payout. But when they lose, you don't actually lose money. It's the value of your team share that's all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDS Fantasy for a $10 deposit bonus of at least $10 or more. Join the fun on investing in your team for the long haul, where the sportsbook edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app and again, use the promo code MDS Fantasy for your $10 deposit bonus today. All right, Chris, let's talk about the Washington football team. Ugh. I'm telling you, I'm going to do it all year long. Uh, we got them. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in. He's going to be a starting quarterback. Rightfully so. It makes everybody very excited about Terry McLaurin. I'm very excited about Terry McLaurin, too. But let's talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick himself. Because when he played last year, and we actually going back the last couple of years the Miami Dolphins, he's very much been a fantasy-relevant quarterback. Weeks one through six last year, before Tua took over, he was QB eight. So it's kind of interesting to see him. Now, here's the thing, though. I have him ranked as QB 30. His ADP has him at QB 25. The reason I have him ranked so low, even though I recognize this is a guy who has the Fitz magic and usually goes on a streak where he's fantasy relevant, is because I still have to see how the mixture of a Ryan Fitzpatrick and a Scott Turner combine. Also have to go with the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy that when the Fitz magic runs out, it runs out hard, usually in the form of a four interception type of game for maybe a couple of weeks and sometimes winds up getting him benched. So all of that kind of gets factored in. I still believe Fitzpatrick will be a streaming quarterback that we'll talk about uh, on a week-to-week basis at some point during the season, maybe to kick things off because I do expect him to play week one. But that mixture to me, I think, lends a very interesting concept as far as how fantasy relevant Ryan Fitzpatrick can really truly be. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's kind of underestimated is his ability to scramble. He does get a decent amount of rushing yards here or there because he does take off out of the pocket, so it gives him a little bit of a floor. But I think the difference between here, here in Miami and Tampa Bay is that he doesn't have those jump ball receivers that he had in those two other places, which I think is going to be the most interesting to see how it's kind of pan out. We know Ryan Fitzpatrick's willing to be aggressive and willing to throw that jump ball. And if a lot of how his production the last couple of years, it has been that relevant quarterback in fantasy. Terry McLaurin definitely will benefit, and he'll definitely still be an effective target. But the rest of the receiving core isn't guys who are definitely jumping up and making a lot of you know contested catches. So I do think that overall, his, his statistics might not be what they have been in the past because you just don't have the same kind of weapons that you have on the outside as he's had the last couple, two stops he's had. I kind of agree with that. Now, I have Fitzpatrick actually playing all 17 games because I just I don't believe in the talent of a Taylor Hanicki. Definitely don't believe in the talent of a Kyle Allen. So I think there's a chance he actually gets through the season without being benched. If he does play 17 games, I got him projected for just over 4,000 yards. To your point, 22 touchdowns. I think his touchdowns kind of take a hit because he doesn't have those jump ball guys necessarily. And we'll talk about the rest in, in, in just a bit. I want to talk about Terry McLaurin himself. This, I do love Terry McLaurin for this reason. I don't know if I love him as much as everybody else does, though. Uh, last year, he finished as wide receiver 21. His ADP right now is wide receiver 10. Now, I think his ceiling is a top 10 wide receiver, wide receiver one. I definitely think that's in the range of outcomes. But I have him ranked as a wide receiver 15. Because I think there has to still be some objectiveness to the and then some of a, a debate here for, from perception versus reality. I get Devontae Parker was phenomenal with Ryan Fitzpatrick first six weeks last year. Wide receiver 25 had his big breakout year in 2019 where he was in the top 10 of wide receivers himself. 
Terrific. Great. To your point, Terry McLaurin is not the jump ball receiver of a Devontae Parker. Still a great receiver. Still great catching in traffic. Don't take it, but he's still not the same type. So I do think there's going to be a little bit of a adjustment period between Fitzpatrick and McLaurin where he's going to have to learn to kind of anticipate him a little bit more and actually throw him open a little bit, not necessarily throw him open a little bit more, but lead him a little bit more, where it's not necessarily just go up and get it on a 50-50 ball. I think there'll be an adjustment there. But ultimately, the reason why I'm so excited about Terry McLaurin like other people, we know Fitzpatrick's going to throw him down the field and give him opportunities down the field, which is something we've been begging for for Terry McLaurin because he has a great skill set when it comes to that. Very rarely ever able to utilize that, though, because of that issue. Uh, I have him projected for 140 targets, 93 receptions, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. The touchdowns is the key. I still don't know how many touchdowns Terry McLaurin gets with a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like I said, the ceiling is up there, top 10, but that's kind of why I still have him as a mid-level wide receiver too, just with some upside at wide receiver 15 right now for me. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, to me, this guy reminds me a lot of Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley made that giant jump last year to the top tier receiver, and we kind of people are kind of banking on him to do that again this year because you saw that progression. But Terry McLaurin, while I think he's going to still have the volume, is definitely going to be you know the main guy in, in the receiving core for Washington. I do have some questions when it comes to how effective he's going to be from you know down the field. The deep throws will be there, but that deep cross is one of his better patterns. That's not a Ryan Fitzpatrick you know strength. He doesn't throw a great deep cross. He doesn't throw the ball well down you know the, the deeper 20-25 yard throws where McLaurin excels at. So I do think that's going to be interesting to see that kind of fold. You might see more big plays, but I think volume's not going to be there as much as people kind of anticipated being in jump. Now, maybe he does become Calvin Ridley because of the red zone usage of Calvin Ridley had last year. Calvin Ridley, was, I think, was number two or three uh, targeted guy in the red zone last year. So if he still gets those – if McLaurin gets those kind of targets from Fitzpatrick, then he should have the numbers to be a top-10 finish. But if he doesn't, I'm with you. The six or seven touchdowns seems very reasonable to me. I don't really see the number jumping. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of what holds me back from projecting him uh, into my top ten wide receivers. But you talked about these wide receivers don't have the profile that Ryan Fitzpatrick has had success with in the past. One of those guys being Curtis Samuel. I haven't projected at wide receiver forty one. What leads me to believe is I'm not going to tell MD Nation anything they don't know is the fact that happy to report the ADP on him is wide receiver forty two. So people are not as big on Curtis Samuel. I think they're recognizing a couple of things. One, that he doesn't have that big jump profile that Ryan Fitzpatrick usually has success with, even though there's been all this talk about, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's known for getting two wide receivers involved. I'm like, yeah, but you go back to the Jets, it was Marshall and Eric Decker, two bigger guys. You go to the Dolphins, it was Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, two bigger guys. If it wasn't Preston Williams when he was hurt, it was Mike Gusecki. Again, a bigger tight end. So it, it get, that is what he targets. Curtis Samuel's a smaller guy who has to get open more of a, a gadgety type of guy. Here's the other factor for Curtis Samuel, why I'm not too big on him. He's going back to Scott Turner, the same guy who didn't really utilize him properly to begin with. I mean, wide receiver 36 in 2019, last time he was with Scott Turner, and he was number two to DJ Moore then. Last year, which was his big breakout season, quote unquote, under a much better offensive mind was still only wide receiver 25. So he's still, he made the jump from a low-end wide receiver three to a high-end wide receiver three. And that was his quote-unquote big breakout season. He goes back to Scott Turner. He goes to a quarterback who doesn't utilize that type of wide receiver nearly as much. I have him for 750 yards and four touchdowns. Nothing too exciting about, for me, for Curtis Samuel this year. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. Without having him being a jump ball receiver like Ryan Fitzpatrick's had in the past, I think when you look at who the guys who kind of eat in this offense, McLaurin will be one of the guys that definitely gets targeted a lot. The running backs will get targeted a lot, and you're going to see Ian Thomas get targeted a lot. And Logan Thomas get are targeted a lot. I think that's where you're going to see primarily most of the pass plays go to, where Curtis will kind of be an afterthought in a lot of ways. Even that gadget role isn't a clear opportunity for him because they have similar backs where you can move Gibson, who's a former receiver, and you can kind of move him around and use him as a gadget player. You can have McKissick that pass catching back out of the backfield. So Curtis Samuel's you know, best skill is being that kind of slash type of player, and you kind of the question is, will that even be utilized that much in Washington? Because it wasn't under Scott Turner previous in Carolina very well. You mentioned Logan Thomas, and his ADP is tight end nine. I am not in on Logan Thomas this year. I got him projected at, or I have him ranked, I should say, at tight end 16. I have a hard time with longtime journeyman players who have a sudden breakout late in their career and all of a sudden expect them to be that player that they are they had their first breakout, first good season ever in their career. Now, all of a sudden, they're that player from here on out. Because most times, that's not the case. Most times, that's not what happens. And Fitzpatrick, while he kept Mike Kosicki fantasy relevant for the most part, I think Kosicki's actually better than Logan Thomas is, and he wasn't a superstar or anything by any stretch of the means. And before that, Fitzpatrick doesn't keep any tight ends all that fantasy relevant I'm not, and Scott Turner himself coming from Carolina didn't keep anybody tight end relevant. You got Greg Olson at the end of his career. Ian Thomas was supposed to be something who turned into nothing. I am not a fan of Logan Thomas this season. I think the addition of Curtis Samuel kind of hurts him a little bit. I think he truly just benefited from being the only guy outside of Terry McLaurin you could, you could consistently target in any capacity. And I'm just not a buyer in all of a sudden this journeyman player is now a top 10 tight end every year. I'm just not buying it. Yeah, so I had a similar you know, mindset going into the season where I don't think Logan Thomas's skills are, are anything super impressive. Um, but when I looked at receiving core and I kind of thought about Ryan Fitzpatrick, the player that he is, or who he likes to target, we talked about, this guy kind of profiles as the guy he's going to look for because he's probably the biggest target out there for him. Um, and then the contract came. And that makes me feel like Scott Turner is going to have to game plan to use Logan Thomas as much as possible in his offense to justify him getting the extension that he just basically get with was $70 million. Um, he's being paid as one of the better tight ends in the league. So I think those two factors, while I agree with you, I thought Logan Thomas benefited a lot from having Alex Smith be the quarterback last year and Alex Smith's, you know, affinity for throwing the tight ends and running backs. He was kind of a big beneficiary from that. I do think the investment that Washington kind of showed, and then I thought about the receiving core, the upgrades they made, they didn't really add another big threat on the outside. Adding Curtis Samuel to me doesn't really take away too much from Logan Thomas. I think Logan Thomas still has a decent floor because I think he's going to be utilized in the in the play passing game and in the game planning. But I also think he's going to have a high probably one more targeted guys in the red zone for this team. I definitely agree. The contract helps in the sense that there's going to be, or at least there should be, some kind of emphasis on getting him the football after you just paid the man. But again, you, I'm always looking for players from the previous year that I think are just going to take a dive the following year. Cause it happens every single year. And I look for certain flags and Logan Thomas just has a lot of those flags for me when it comes to players who profile as having a big dip from the previous season. So that's just why I'm not in a Logan Thomas. I think a lot of the factor is too, 
who that third receiver of Washington winds up being. Because if it is Diami Brown, he does profile as a Ryan Fitzpatrick type of guy. I do wonder if he gets to be the starting third receiver, quote unquote, at starting at week one. And what kind of factor that might have with the Logan Thomas as well, as far as the red zone and deep ball and seam throws go. Uh, so I think that could actually be something too. Now, to be clear, as far as Diami Brown goes, or this Camp Sims, it's not fantasy relevant either way. If Curtis Samuel's wide receiver 41, I don't have these guys even really on my board at all. But I think that could also be a factor when it comes to Logan Thomas. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Uh, You can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Yeah, I think the one guy I think I have a little bit of interest in seeing, I like Daniel Brown's skill set. I don't know if I agree that he's necessarily a guy that you're going to target more in you know, the jump ball type of guy. I think he's a more deep threat. Um, but I do think Cam Sims does kind of fit the profile. We talked about a, a jump ball receiver. He is 6'5". He is a big guy. So it is something that we kind of see a, a kind of a, a poor man's Preston Williams in a lot of ways. Um, but I do – he's kind of a guy has some interest. Now, I'm not drafting any of these second receivers on Washington, but they're guys I might just keep my eye on as the season progresses. Let's talk about the gem from the fantasy football perspective that is on Washington. That's Antonio Gibson right now, ADP RB 11. I have him ranked. I believe I have him. Yeah, I have him ranked at RB nine. I have him inside the top 10. The big thing, everybody last year, the only question you have is like, okay, JD McKissick, you know, does he get involved? Does he cap the ceiling of an Antonio Gibson because of his involvement in the passing game? Look, first of all, I want to point something out. What McKissick, when he got target-wise last year, was absolutely insane. He was getting, on average, eight and a half targets a game, which would have put him on pace for 138 targets. You're talking about like wide receiver one-level target share, essentially going for J.D. McKissick. It didn't really kick up until Alex Smith took over. and It was eight and a half from week nine on, which is when Smith took over last season. Before that, it was more Antonio Gibson. He was a rookie wide receiver, who, uh, rookie running back, excuse me, who still was not that great at pass protecting. And I talk about this all the time. When you're not that great at pass protecting, even if you are a good pass catching back, it's going to be hard for you to get on the field in third downs because you got to be able to protect the quarterback. He got better towards the end of the season. He has actually a bigger body build. He's 6'2", 220. I believe this year, 
they're going to look at Antonio Gibson as a workhorse guy. We know what J.D. McKissick is. He's just your run-the-mill third-down specialist. There's no reason to get him out there, but Antonio Gibson, who has that all-around skill set, ready to take the next step up because he can pass protect a little bit more now. They can trust him in those situations. I don't think he's quite Christian McCaffrey, but I do think Ron Rivera and Scott Turner are prepared to use him as such this season. Fitzpatrick does dump the ball off a lot to his running backs in general. Last year, weeks one through six, Gaskin was the RB20, having some of his best games with Ryan Fitzpatrick last season. That's why I'm big on Antonio Gibson getting a workload a workhorse type of load. I have him for 85 targets this year, 235 carries. That leads me to get to those touches translates into RB nine for me with the production that comes with that workload. Yeah. I mean, me, my surprise came from Antonio Gibson's effectiveness as a running back and actually being a decent good Agreed. runner. I was kind of surprised by that. So once we kind of established that he was effective last year and it was pretty productive in the running run. The passing catching thing is not something I had a lot of questions. I agree with you. The pass protection is a big reason why he didn't play a lot on third downs. And when the team was trailing, it was JT McKissick's basic show. Um, I think that definitely changes this year. You vested a lot of, you know, draft capital in Gibson. There's been nothing but this whole offseason talk about him being utilized as a three down back. And he has the upside because of the rushing ability and the catching ability to be a very poor, you know, a poor man's Christian McCaffrey in a lot of ways. That was what was so surprising about J.D. McKissick being so involved because we knew that Antonio Gibson's best skill set coming into the NFL was his pass-catching ability. And that's why it comes down to that pass protection issue when it comes to rookie running backs. It's not going to be as much of an issue this year. That's why you're not going to see J.D. McKissick. I don't care if he, quote-unquote, bulked up because he wants to show he could take on more of a workload. Like, stop it. Just, just good for you for trying to get better. You're still J.D. McKissick at the end of the day. Let's just point out, like we said, we saw his uptake came with Alex Smith playing quarterback. Alex Smith was coming off major knee leg surgery. They right. broke his leg. So they were really, really conscious of making sure that he wasn't going to get hit because he couldn't move anymore. Ryan Fitzpatrick still takes off. He still can move a lot more. So you're not going to see the commitment to make sure that there's protection in place as much as you saw last year as well. Yeah, 1,000% agree. Hey, let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot of things to talk about with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Ben Roethlisberger, the reports on him so far have been that he's actually motivated and coming to camp in shape. I I I actually have the graphic up so you can't actually see my screen. In shape. I want to put that in quotes because I don't know what in shape to Ben Roethlisberger actually means relative to a normal NFL quarterback. However... Usually speaking, when you've had these years that Ben Roethlisberger came in and with a report that he is more motivated and looked like he at least did something to somewhat take care of his body coming into the season, he's usually had pretty productive seasons because this has been an ongoing thing throughout his entire career. Last year was abysmal as far as his you know yards per attempt. It was a career low because it was right. It was right about six point zero three. His career average had been about 7.7. You're talking about a huge drop-off. And that was even before he hurt the knee and it looked like he was really just trying to get the ball out of his hands as fast as possible. He was still dumping it off at a career-low rate before that. So the question is going to be, okay, do you have the arm strength? I believe he does still have the arm strength. I think a lot of it that he, he did look abnormally fat to me last year. I think part of it is that he wasn't in great shape. But he's got a lot of good wide receivers. He's got a good offense in general. 
The offensive line is very, very suspect, though. Still, they didn't really address that. So I do wonder a little bit, do they still kind of wind up pertaining to this idea of getting the ball out of his hands quickly because the Steelers can't afford to go to their backup quarterbacks because you don't know what you're going to get out of Dwayne Haskins. You don't, you know Mason Rudolph's absolute garbage at this point. You don't want to be stuck in that situation that you were a couple of years ago when you didn't have Ben Roethlisberger when this is a playoff, quote-unquote, Super Bowl-chasing team. I think Najee Harris helps, but still, ultimately speaking, it's going to be down, can Big Ben still stretch the field out at all? Yeah, I think one thing that I've seen historically with Ben Roethlisberger, you kind of touched upon it, is when the odds are against him and people are against him is when he plays at his best by far. I think he has nothing but motivation to make people eat crow. I think that's why you see him in better quote-unquote shape. When he gets complacent, he gets fat, he gets lazy, he gets kind of you know, out of out of touch kind of with the offense and what he needs to do to keep himself on top of his game. But when he gets doubted, he usually comes back roaring back. I think you're going to see it, we, one of our sponsors is simple and, you know, buying stock. Ben Rothberg is one of those guys that you want to buy stock on, but it's really, really low right now. And I guarantee that he's going to be probably one of the more undervalued guys going into this fantasy season. Ben Roethlisberger is still going to throw the ball. No, no matter what, he's still the man in, in Pittsburgh. As you pointed out, the quarterbacks you know, challenging him behind him aren't going to be starting anytime soon. Maybe they try to be a little bit more judicial with you know, trying to push the ball down the field, but I think that's actually going to increase because he's not coming off major elbow surgery that was last year. He didn't throw this offseason to try to keep his arm more fresh. And, and like you said, he's in better shape. I think all three of those factors are going to add a lot of things. And having a Najee Harris, which is way better than having Benny Snell, or James Conner every two games be hurt, you have a guy who's legitimately a workhorse back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think Ben Rothsberger can still read defenses. We see in today's league that because guys aren't able to be, you know, as physical down the field as they used to be at re- with the receivers, if you're a good quarterback who can read defenses, you can be effective. Alex Smith was effective last year because he can read defenses. Ben Rothsberger's arm is definitely better than Alex Smith's arm was last year, I think, this going into the season. And the weapons he has in place, overall – I think this guy's going to surprise a lot of people and make people eat crow in a sense because I think that's what he's all about. Yeah, I mean, his ADP is QB 21. I actually have him projected at QB 25, and the reason I'm lower than that than ADP on that is just because there's a lot of good, there's a lot of quarterbacks who are in decent situations. That's really what it boils down to. Plus, I have a very small gap between QB 25 and QB 18, so he's gonna he's gonna fall right in that tier, right in that range. I think he'll be fine. Um, because when you're talking about Ben Roethlisberger from a fantasy perspective, you're if you're playing in you know your typical 12 man half point PPR leagues, which most people are, you're not you're, you're you're not having to draft him anyway. I think he will be again, and it's easy to say that with quarterbacks a lot, but I think he will be a streamer at some point throughout the season. The point will more be about what value does he give for the wide receivers, and that kind of goes more with you know with Pittsburgh and talk about they have a mandate from the owner on down that they're going to run the ball more. How, yeah, I was going to say run the ball more or run the ball more effectively, I think is actually going to be more my question because two of the last three years, actually two years in the past three years where Rob Berger wasn't hurt, they threw the ball more than 600 times. In 20, 2018, it was 675 times. Connor actually had a good year 2018. So is it that you're going to run the ball more or is it to, because you have Najee Harris, you're going to be able to run the ball more effectively. I don't think the volume of the passing game goes away. I think this is still going to be the offense getting charged through Ben Roethlisberger and the passing game. I think that's still going to be what they're what the team is going to be first. They're just expecting to have a better effective passing uh, running game to hopefully have play action and hopefully offer some balance 
off of that. I think that has more to do with that than anything else. So I lead into that to talk about with Najee Harris is RB. He's RB 12 ADP wise. I have him actually projected out at RB 17. I don't want to say I hate Najee Harris because I, I actually love Najee Harris, but there's a lot of running backs I think who are going to be in his range actually when it comes down to it. And the reason I have him in RB17 and not a low-end RB1 like the ADP would suggest, it's still a really bad offensive line. I still think he's going to have quite a few games where he's just flat-out inefficient because of that offensive line. But I don't question his overall volume. I have him at 258 carries. I have him at 66 targets. So I have him being a three-down, very involved running back. I just question how effective can you really be behind an offensive line that really wasn't addressed this past offseason. Yeah, I mean, I can understand your concerns. I do. I'm a big Najee fan because I think that it's nice to have a true three-down back back in you know, back in Pittsburgh, um, and and just in the league in general because it's nice to see guys who actually can be stay out there versus all these specialists. We continue to see it, but I do understand some of the concerns. I do like to pick Green, adding him to the center. I think they have a little bit more push in the middle than they had over the last couple of years, and it's going to help. I do think the play-action game you kind of talked about is going to be very important for this offense in general. You're not going to see as many pass attempts, I think, from Big Ben. I don't think the yardage is going to go down as a result. I think actually might even increase in some aspects. We kind of see that with Ryan Tannehill. You know, you're more effective when you have a threat of a running game. So I think Najee Harris is still going to be a guy who's borderline RB1. I can understand the concerns about the offensive line, but I think overall he's got a hell of a floor. When you look at the volume, he's probably going to see Ben loves check downs with his running backs. He looks to find the guys who are going to be, you know, utilized continuously in the offense. He's got a good chance of being a pretty potent offense overall. The only concern I could see kind of agreeing with you is I don't know the touchdown production that comes there. Is it going to be a pass-oriented team in the red zone, or are they going to kind of try to pound it in the red zone? That, to me, is going to be the kind of key of how high Najee Harris actually finishes um, because I don't know if it's a guarantee that he gets double the touchdowns. So I can understand why I love the volume. I think he's going to see week in, week out. I can see some concerns that he might not have the same touchdown protection as some of the other top-tier guys might have. Right. And I mean, I, I have him for 10 total touchdowns, eight rushing, two receiving. Uh, but I think that's I think that's a more fair value for Najee Harris. I think you're putting yourself in a better position if you're drafting him as a mid-level RB2 just to give you some wiggle room in case that office line is winds up being a hindrance and in case they are still essentially a pass first team. Because again, I go back to is it running more or is it running more effective where you can run as much as you did last year, but because you have Najee Harris, because the play calling will be a little bit more unpredictable because you have a true workhorse back, I think you have a chance to be running a little bit more effective, at least more so than last season. But there's a lot of guys in that range where I like their upside just a little bit more, their efficiency just a little bit more. That's why I have an RB17. I don't hate Najee Harris, though. I still like him a lot. still like the fact that there's very few workhorse backs out there, and he's going to be one of those guys. So let's talk about the wide receivers. Because this is where I think I'm going to catch. It's, going to be, it's definitely going to be controversial uh, to some degree. Now, not with Deontay Johnson. I'm right in line with the ADP. The ADP right now is wide receiver 22. I have him ranked at wide receiver 21. I think he's the safest Steelers wide receiver. He's still going to be the number one target in my eyes. Have him for 136 targets, 88 receptions, just over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. I really don't think he changes much from last year as far as his overall production goes. I really, really don't. It's the other guys that I'm a little further down on. Juju Smith-Schuster, ADP, wide receiver 31. I have him projected at wide receiver 35. I still believe he's the second targeted receiver on this team. I know some people want to say they think it's going to be Chase Claypool taking that step up. 
That's not his role in the offense. Schuster is still going to be the guy who slots in and out with DJ John, with, with Deontay Johnson as far as inside and outside. Claypool's still going to be the guy who's going to be the deep ball threat, the guy who stretches the field, who's going to line up on the outside and not get moved around a whole lot. And I don't think that, therefore, for that reason, just because Juju's on a one-year contract coming back to Pittsburgh, I don't think that means he winds up being the second targeted wide receiver. And to top it off, I think we see some regression in touchdowns because of the switch a little bit to the rushing game. Right now, Chase Claypool, his ADP is wide receiver 29. I have him projected at wide receiver 50. I think we're going to see a sophomore regression as 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 production goes out of a Chase Claypool this season because I don't believe Ben Roethlisberger is going to be chucking the ball down the field as much. Kind of similar to what we saw. Now, Martavius Bryant had some other issues going on as well, but kind of similar to what we saw in Martavius Bryant where you blow up, and then because you had that touchdown regression and your targets do not improve, because I don't think his targets are going to improve, therefore his yards are going to improve, he wound up taking a big drop because that's what kept him fantasy relevant last year. That's why he was a fantasy seven because of those big play touchdowns and how many he got a season ago. So I love Deontay Johnson. I think this guy would blow up to a you know a true superstar this year and make a similar jump that Stephon Diggs had made in Minnesota, where he was pretty good running, you know, pretty good receiver, and then all of a sudden he had that big jump. I think Deontay Johnson kind of profiles for me that I think the drops will be addressed a lot, which he definitely had an issue with last year. I think that'll be make him more effective and more utilized. Um, I understand the concern. I do think Juju will be the second targeted receiver in this offense as well. I don't know how much better Juju does overall. Um, I think Claypool, to me, his key is going to be how involved the tight end is going to be, how involved is James Washington going to be. I think Claypool can have really so much statistics, if not maybe improve a little bit from last year, and all three receivers can eat if they kind of do attrition by subtraction. Um, if James Washington is going to see to kind of steal some of his touches or some of his snaps, then it's going to be an issue for you. Because I agree with you. He's not going to be the guy that they're going to – he's going to be some regression in touchdown usage. Um, but Ben does like to have the big receiver. Traditionally, he likes to throw up up his big receiver. He used to utilize, you know, Pexico Burris. He utilized Martavius Bryant. He has, you know, this guy to me is an athletic monster in a lot of ways. So he's got some of that A.J. Brown aspect in him where he takes two catches and you can break one and it could be a big play for you. But I understand the concerns when it comes to overall volume. If James Washington is going to continue to be involved in this offense and you're going to utilize Eric Ebron in their number one draft or their summer two draft pick, Pat Vermouth at tight end, then there could be concerns with what does Claypool actually finish. If he becomes that, you know, true number three utilized guy, I think all three of these guys can eat. I mean, they all ate technically last year. Like, I know Juju, his name's not sexy. Everyone's very bored by Juju. But he still finished wide receiver 18 last year as bored as you were. So he's still a wide receiver, too. Claypool, in his own right, finishes wide receiver 19. I, I'm with you in the James Washington thing, too. It, it should be Chase Claypool. But we know there's been reports Ben Robinsberger, for whatever reason really loves James Washington and always is volleying for this guy to play. I mean, there was a point last year where that happened and all of a sudden James Washington got on the field more the following week and took away from Chase Claypool. That happened during the year last year. There, there were seven times he Chase Claypool finished outside the top 36. And those are the games where he just he didn't hit the big play. And that's my concern. If the big play's not there, he bottoms out. And I don't know if there's as many big plays there this season just from a, a natural regression of things. Not that he's going to be a worse receiver, but just from a production standpoint. I know a lot of people aren't going to disagree, obviously, because they have him as a wide receiver three, and I'm telling you he's a wide receiver five for me. 
there's definitely that that potential there because he has that ability. But I see a sophomore slump in store for Chase Claypool, and people are going to be surprised. I believe that Juju Smith-Schuster is still going to be as involved as I have him projected out to be, which also goes with Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron, his ADP is, is tight end 29. So I do wonder if that has an effect as to why people are so high on Chase Claypool, because for some reason, they seem to think that the tight end suddenly in a Steelers-Ben Roethlisberger offense is not going to be involved. Apparently, that's the only explanation you can come up with, your ADP being tight end 29 when he finishes tight end 15 last year i haven't projected as the tight end 18 uh this year he's going to be a mid-level tight end too i think you're going to be able to stream at some points in the season but adp 29 that makes no sense to me like i said the only thing i can go off is is the investment in the tight end position in the draft that maybe they think pat is going to steal some of his opportunity and he doesn't play what as much tight as ends was, what second round tight ends ever get a ton of work in the first rookie year ever can we just People need to go on the uh, same oh, page. I totally agree with that. I, I just wonder if it's going to be a snap thing and like where people are kind of you know doubting maybe Eric Ebron's productivity as a result of that. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, we know traditionally, similar to Stafford, we talked about last, yesterday's show, that Ben Offer loves to throw to his tight ends in the red zone. So I don't think that Ebron necessarily has a, a drop off the world that the people are kind of predicting. Um, but I do think maybe that's why they're kind of considering that he does have a drop off, not so because of the receivers, but more so because of the competition for snaps at the tight end position. Um, but I, I'm... I think that you also have to kind of think about utilization in the running back too, because I think that Najee could steal some of these catches for some of these guys too, which is going to be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds. Yeah, overall, I agree. Overall, this offense to me is one of the more slept on offenses that you can kind of see a lot of production. All like in Atlanta traditionally where you can see a lot of different guys be productive, but you don't need to reach on anybody. So I'm, I'm with you that I think these guys are kind of, you know, have some uh, nice ceiling in a lot of ways. The floor is going to be kind of curious, but where they're going ADP-wise, none of these guys are really reaches in my book, and they all have something you can kind of look for and target accordingly. Um, I just kind of – it's going to really just see how this team unfolds in general because you just kind of see this is offense, how it's going to gel. And we can talk about the changing, you know, offensive coordinator, which I think is gigantic. I think having Matt Canada replacing – can't think of his name, but the quarterback coach basically for Ben Roethlisberger the last two years, where this guy was playing Ryan Hewitt in, over James Conner in the backfield a lot of games. Well, they basically became a dink and dunk team and under him, not just because of Ben Roethlisberger's, you know, arm strength, but because that's kind of the guy's scheme where it was a lot of shotgun, a lot of just, you know, three, four, five, six receivers out there and just check the ball real fast. The change to Matt Canada, you're going to see a lot more jet sweep action. You're going to see more plays pushed down the field. So I think the volume is going to be different for all these guys overall. So PPR, you might see some of these guys decrease a little bit, but I think the yardage and the touchdown production actually is going to increase. You're, you might not see Juju finishing, you know, top 20, because but you're going to see him finish pretty strongly because his yards will be way better than averaging nine yards per catch in this year. Yeah, I mean, I agree on the part that this offense in general is being slept on. I think the Steelers as a team is being slept on. There's so many people out there who are, I guess, because they're excited about the Browns. You still have a lot of buzz about the Ravens. And I guess people are, are not, you know, obviously not the ones in Pittsburgh, but people are kind of like, oh, it's the same old Steelers. Like, yeah, their defense is good, but it's everyone's undefeated to win ten last yeah, year, right? Was. <laughs> this was this was like the number one team in the AFC essentially for the majority of the season last year, and yet everyone seems bored by them because the offense wasn't super flashy or Ben looked like he took a step back. This is still a very good football team. This is still going to be a very good offense. There's a lot of talent here. Um, and I'm with you as far as most of their value is fair, except for I'm much lower on Chase Claypool. And I'm looking at, at like the ADP and the guys that he's around. You're talking about guys in the T. Higgins area. Definitely would rather have a T. Higgins than a Chase Claypool. 
Devonta Smith is actually wide receiver 30. I'm much lower than ADP is on him. So I, I think, I, you know, Clay pulled Devonta Smith. Okay, fine. They're in the same territory, but they have Juju behind them. We talked about that. I'd rather have Juju than Chase Claypool. I'd rather have Cortland Sutton than Chase Claypool. I'd rather have DJ Chark than Chase Claypool. I'd rather have Debo Samuel than Chase Claypool. I'd rather have Will Fuller. There's a lot. La- I'd rather have Brandon Cooks. There's a laundry list of guys behind Chase Claypool who I would much rather have and feel much safer about their, their floor to ceiling ratio uh, than what they have going on right now with where people would be taking a clay pool as, as of this moment. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. I can go with most of this other than Depot Samuel, but I am also a big believer, and we talk, you know, we talk about this in, sometimes about our belief in this talent. I think Chris Clay, Claypool's talent is a guy that I might invest a little higher than some people because I believe in the talent and that therefore I think the production comes with that. We'll see exactly what happens. All right, what we're going to do is take a quick break. Come back on the other side. We still have the Bucks and the Chiefs to talk about along with the mailbag segment as always for you guys. So stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports and MD's Fantasy Football. We'll be right back after these messages. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hello and welcome back, everybody at MD Nation to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're wrapping up the final edition of the team profile series today we just talked about the Steelers we just talked about I don't even know because I can't even remember because it was only five minutes ago the Washington football team breaking them all down I expect to hear some uh, hate mail from the Chase Claypool lovers out there at any given moment on social media if you want to that's fine I'm, I'm tough I'm a big boy just hit us up at 
Belly Up MDFF show. And we will have a lovely conversation, I'm sure, about anything that you want to talk about fantasy football-wise. And if you need help, we are always there for you guys. That's also how you can get on the mailbag segment, which will be in store for you guys at the end of this segment. Before we get into starting it off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champions, I do want to give a shout-out to the sponsor of this segment, which today is Monkey Knife Fight. Monkey Knife Fight, if you don't know, is a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. All you got to do is download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code BELLYUP for a dollar-to-dollar match on your deposit of up to $100. That's potentially an instant $100 free for you to play today when you use the promo code BELLYUP on monkeyknifefight.com and download Download the app. All right, Chris. The Super Bowl champs brought back everybody, and I mean everybody, to their team. And you, you kind of get in way, some ways you get some guys back because um, you know you had OJ Howard go down last year. Now he's back too, kind of thrown into the mix. How? What? What is the ceiling for this team that performed so well last year without an offseason, without a training camp? They get that now this year, coming off of a Super Bowl win. What is the ceiling on this team? I mean, I think it's a, it's incredibly high. If you look at the last time Tom Brady had weapons like this and the seasons he put up in New England, how they were historical, I think there's an opportunity for that to happen again this year. We had a guy, a quarterback who wasn't completely healthy last year, still learning the system. It, it was still, it was still, you know, as the season progressed, got better and better. He has all weapons back. He's got an increased weapon with OJ Howard. I mean, and we have Antonio Brown actually having a, a, a complete off season with the team as well. Who kind of, you know, with the late additions to the team, probably had a limited. It came halfway playbook. through the year. Yeah, so I mean, you have all these guys basically having ability to get continuity with this quarterback and going into a season where you keep you keep Bruce Arians, who's already one of the more aggressive coaches. You keep Leftwich under that as your offensive coordinator. This team, in general, is already an aggressive offense and has historically been able to kind of, you know, feed guys fantasy-wise. You have opportunity for one of the few teams in the league. I, I was calling, going through the list on, you know, during the commercial break of how many teams can you think that have a player starting on every position be fantasy relevant. This is one of those few teams. I think the Rams could be one of those teams. Titans, Steelers, the Cowboys, to a lesser degree, maybe the Vikings in Cleveland. But when you look at this team. Almost every guy starting for them could be fantasy relevant this year. Yeah, all the receivers can eat. We know Tom Brady is going to be great. Uh, Even if Tom Brady takes a slight regression from the 40 touchdowns, which I don't really have him doing. I have him for 39 touchdowns, so I really don't have much of a regression there. I have him going over 5,000 yards this year. Now, part of that is that there's an extra 17th game. That's part of that. I want people to keep that in consideration. You're going to see some numbers... We talked about earlier, I don't remember if it was yesterday's show or earlier today's show, that in general, as a general observation, you're going to see the prolific passing numbers of last year come down a bit. But what we mean is on a per-game average, because with the 17-game inflation, the stats are actually going to look a little bit similar to last year, but that's just the extra game. So it's, it's more on an average you're going to see it come down a little bit. Uh, but I do have, in a 17-game season, Brady going over 5,000 yards with these wide receivers. I have him at QB9. His ADP is... Or I'm sorry. Actually, I have him projected. I have him ranked at QB6. His ADP is QB9. I'm big on Tom Brady. He's one of the few pocket passers left that I think can still be a high QB1. 
that doesn't need the legs to go with it because just the weapons he has around him is absolutely ridiculous. That's why I have him projected for 5,000 yards and 39 touchdowns. Mike Evans last year finished as the wide receiver 10. Chris Godwin in just 12 games played still finished as the wide receiver 32. Antonio Brown from weeks 9 to 17 when he was playing for the team was wide receiver 21. All three of these receivers can eat. And by the way, Antonio Brown being out there didn't hurt Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. Mike Evans was still wide receiver 9, weeks 9 through 17. Chris Godwin was wide receiver 12, weeks 9 through 17. Two two wide receiver 1s and a mid-level wide receiver 2 of three wide receivers in that eight-game stretch last season. Mike Evans, from what we're hearing, is even in better shape this year. He's been performing absolutely great. Antonio Brown, the great thing about Antonio Brown is that he was two years removed from football, playing halfway through the year, and still performed to that level. And Chris Godwin was still able to maintain fantasy relevancy even with him on the field. That's a, it's, it's, it's a testament to Tom Brady. It's also a testament to Bruce Arians. Because of his system so aggressive and willing to be aggressive, everybody who's a pass catcher gets to eat. Now, with Mike Evans, his ADP is wide receiver 12. I actually haven't projected as wide receiver 8. Chris Godwin, his ADP is wide receiver 16. I have him projected at wide receiver 12. And Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is the value because his ADP right now is wide receiver 41, which is insane to me. It makes absolutely no sense that his ADP would be wide receiver 41 when you actually pay any attention to what the numbers are telling you, which is all three receivers are great. I am projected at wide receiver 23. So I have... All of them are a little bit ahead of their ADPs as far as Evans and Godwin go, but they're right around that range. So the guy who I'm most excited about would be Antonio Brown because of that value stretch there. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that people kind of forgot and have written off Antonio Brown. But we've always seen that Tom Brady, if you can run routes effectively, he's going to target you. He's going to utilize you. And then to your point, this guy's coming off, actually having an offseason. He had been in the league for, out of the league for two years, learning a brand new playbook, and he was able to kind of establish what can be productive right off the bat. Now what can he do moving forward? And can he kind of be that that prototypical slot receiver in a lot of ways that you know Tom Brady's had historically, whether Wes Walker, Julian Edelman? Because Anthony Brown brings a lot of that kind of things to the table where he can just be a volume machine. And because we're not really sure how this running game is going to unfold, you know the passing game is going to be the, the top priority for this week in, week out. All three of these guys can easily surpass their ADPs, and all three of these guys can easily be receiver one, receiver twos. Yeah, 100%. And just keep in mind, Antonio Brown last year out-targeted Chris Godwin 62-55 to 55 during that eight-game stretch last year. So I don't get why... AD, the, I, don't, I just don't understand the ADP of 41 for an Antonio Brown, like he's somehow going to get left out of this offense. He's not. He's not. The one part that I think might get left out as far as the pass catchers go that I do not want to necessarily touch for Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the tight ends. Right now, Gronk, his ADP is tight end 10. I know he finished last year as a tight end 8. But this is where O.J. Howard coming back is my issue. Where if O.J. Howard comes back, he's going to get worked in. Because you have to presume for the future anyway, Tampa Bay would rather be investing into O.J. Howard. And Gronk was fine with what he was able to do. Like I said, he finished his tight end eight. Pretty impressive for a guy who was out of football for a while. Again, just a benefactor of how great this offense truly was. But if you have O.J. Howard back in the mix, and Cameron Brace still gets mixed in to some degree, and you have Ron Grabkowski, and you have Antonio Brown for an entire season, 
The one position I think could get left to the wayside a little bit would be the tight end position. And because it's potentially a three-man committee, I don't know how much I want to touch a tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have, him, I have Gronk projected at tight end 24. Yeah, I can understand the interpretation of the tight end position, especially if these guys kind of cannibalize, cannibalize each other. Um, to me, the key is going to be the Giovanni Bernard involvement in these offense. If Gio is going to be the, that prime, that James White role and be a pass catcher, then I think the tight ends, you can't necessarily feed the tight ends as well. But if he's not, you know, Chris Arians has been successful using his tight ends. He had the, he's the guy who used Kobe Fleer and Dwayne Allen. We've seen Tom Brady feed two tight ends before. You know, in Green Bay, when they had a really good, they had Randall Cobb and Adams and Nelson, you still see if Jamarco Finley has some good years. So there's still a tight end that can kind of rise up and still score. The problem you're going to have, I think, overall is not where they finish, but how consistent they're going to be week in, week out. So that's where I understand your kind of concern of not really wanting to just a tight, touch a tight end position so much because there's a lot of the guys where you you clearly see their role and clearly where they fall on the food chain. But this is going to be a team where it could be O.J. Howard goes over 100 yards. Next week it could be Garantha goes over 100 yards and has two touchdowns and, and O.J. Howard does nothing. You're probably going to have a lot of games like that this year where you're going to have a struggle kind of predicting which guy is going to go off. And we kind of saw at the receiving core last year where you had big games out of Scotty Miller. You had big games out of Watson because these guys all have talent and we know that and Johnson had a couple of decent games. Tom Brady's going to throw it to the guy who has one-on-one coverage. He's going to go to the guy who's be able to beat his guy on him and keep going to him and keep going to him. You just don't know week to week who that's going to be. So I understand the, the, the concern to tight end. Overall, they're probably all be productive season-wise, but week in, week out, you can't guarantee any of these guys are going to be the man. No, agreed. You mentioned Giovanni Bernard. So let's talk about the running backs. And usually wait till the end of the show to put up a poll, but I put this poll up and it was, it was designed for this episode. We need to use it here. So I asked MD Nation what running back did they believe was going to be the most fantasy relevant on a consistent basis. I thought the consistent part would be the key. Apparently, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everyone went nuts. Ronald Jones got 60% of the vote. Leonard Fournette, 27. Giovanni Bernard, 13%. My only conclusion, and by the way, MD Nation, I'm sorry, 60% of you are wrong. My only conclusion of why it's 60% of Ronald Jones is because of that one report that we got at a training camp about how Ronald Jones is looking impressive and and you know impressing Bruce Arians with the way he's running, how explosive he is. Is Chris, tell me this. Is that not the same type of reporting we got last year leading into camp? how great a shape he was in, how explosive he's in. It's it's not... Ronald Jones, as a runner, it's not a secret. Yeah, he's explosive. He, he's good as a runner. But there's a reason why he's on a short leash when it comes to the coaching staff. We saw that throughout the season. He doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't pass protect. And he fumbles. And that's why he was on a short leash last year. We don't, I don't need to be told that Ronald Jones is impressing as far as his running skills go. That's never been a question. It's every other aspect of the running back position that's the issue. And are you really going to sit there and tell me that after that playoff run last year, 
that Leonard Fournette didn't earn some credence there with Bruce Arians? Are you really going to tell me you're sold that Ronald Jones is going to out-carry Leonard Fournette this season? They'll both be involved. Don't get me wrong, but I do not buy for one second that Ronald Jones is the lead dog. No, I'm with you. Um, this is one of the backfields where I think there's going to be production that I don't want to personally touch because I have no idea how this is going to fold. I do think it's going to be a lot of hot hand. It's going to be a lot of game dependent. Um, you know, they're fall behind. You're going to see a lot of geo. You're not going to see Ronald Jones in those games. They fall behind. Because to your point, Ronald Jones, what he made very obvious the last couple of years, because I heard also hype going into last year about how he improved his pass catching and how that worked out for everybody. His right. hands didn't go away. So, yes, he can run the ball. He's going to be effective. He runs really hard. He does tend to get fumbles. He tends to get injured. He tends to blow assignments. Things Tom Brady absolutely is not a big fan of. Leonard Fournette's probably the, the best back in the sense to me because he can do a little bit of everything. So he has the most clear opportunity in the sense of where he can actually catch the ball a little bit. He can run well. Kind of the, I look at this backfield kind of like the Saints backfield was back in the day with a Pierre Thomas, with um, Sproles, and I forget the other back they had basically. And Pierre Thomas was, to me is like kind of Fournette where he's going to probably be the guy who's probably the most productive because he can do a little bit of everything and you can't just guess what they're going Mark, to do. It was Mark Ingram, by the way. Mark Ingram, sorry. I, was, I think it was Mike Bell for a little bit there too. But yeah, yeah so, they had, so you had that kind of the rotation where there's a clear runner, Ronald Jones, this guy could do a little bit of everything, and there's a period class catcher with Leonard Fournette. So I think that you're going to see this backfield kind of unfold similarly. And I think overall the guy I'd want to own is probably Fournette because I think he has the safest floor. But I don't think you can – I think I'm with you. MD Nation is definitely – you know, on something I'm not on. I don't see this clear-cut Ronald Jones is going to be the dominant guy in the backfield. It has to be just that one report. I don't have anything else to point to. There's nothing from last year, especially to where the way the end end of last season ended, why why that many people would believe it would be Ronald Jones. Other than that one report of one impressive day at at camp. And to your, Gio Bernard, he mucks everything up. He just does. He does. He mucks everything up. Because the one thing that was keeping Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones somewhat consistent on a week-to-week basis where you could play either one, you weren't necessarily stuck in a situation like, who's it going to be, was that they were, by default, getting receiving work. Now, all of a sudden, if Bernard takes on, let's say, that James White type of role, well, I don't know how much receiving work Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette are going to receive. I have Leonard Fournette as the highest-ranked running back at RB37. His ADP is RB32, so I'm lower than him on that. Ronald Jones' ADP is RB29. Absolutely ridiculous. I have him I have him ranked at RB45. Again, just, just I have both these guys under the ADPs because I think people are, are discounting too much that Bernard really, truly, I believe, will have a significant role when it comes to the passing attack. And it wouldn't surprise me if it winds up being in a range of outcome where Gianni Bernard doesn't just have a role, but is getting 70% of the passing attack work. It wouldn't surprise me if that were to somehow wind up being a scenario. And that would be a huge detriment to this backfield. So that's where I'm with you. I don't know if I really want to touch anybody on Tampa Bay unless they're falling into the double-digit rounds. If you're falling into double-digit rounds, then fine. I'll take my shot on one of these guys, most likely Leonard Fournette. But even then, you want to take a shot on somebody because you know if somebody emerges or somebody gets hurt on this particular offense, they're going to be they're going to have some big fantasy weeks for you. So I'm willing to take the shot on them. But as far as guys, you know, as anybody in this backfield, if everybody's healthy, somebody that I want to start on a week-in, week-out, no. Even Leonard Fournette, who I have ranked high, is not. I haven't ranked at RB thirty-seven, so I haven't just outside RB threes. I don't necessarily want to play anybody in this backfield on a week-to-week basis. 
Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And let's not forget that both you and I are both fans of Keyshawn Vaughn's talent as well, and he's still in the backfield there. So this isn't a guarantee situation. Even if one guy gets hurt, it's a clear cut, you know, this guy's going to be the guy. There's going to be so much of an opportunity for there to be a rotation and just kind of riding the hot hand. It reminds me a lot of New England backfields back in the day where everybody could be productive in some senses, but who were you going to draft or who were you going to play that week? You just didn't want to mess with it. It seems they're probably very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we love the wide receivers. We love Tom Brady. I'm skittish on the tight ends, and the running back room is a mess thanks to the addition of Junior Valley Bernard. So let's talk about the Super Bowl losers, but the fantasy winners because they're fantasy darlings. And that's, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. Not too. Yeah, Sammy Watkins is gone. I feel like not a lot changes for the Chiefs from last year to this year because while Sammy Watkins was technically still there, Kansas City had kind of consolidated their offense to revolve around Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and then, you know, what was left over for the running back position essentially at that point. I don't think that changes too much this year. So we'll be kind of blunt, or I'll be kind of blunt to the point, at least on this. Mahomes, my QB1. I I don't see why that should come as a shock. He is actually, his ADP is a QB1 right now. We know the sky's the limit. We know it's a great offense with Andy Reid. We know he has great weapons. We know Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback from a talent standpoint in the NFL. I don't think there's any question about it. He can continue to get better because he's so young, which is probably the scary factor of all this. And them losing Sammy Watkins doesn't hurt him in any capacity. So I don't know how much there is to talk about in Patrick Mahomes. Do you have any comments for Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% with you. I think the addressing the offensive line makes sure that he has that floor week in, week in. He doesn't get injured. You know what? You're right. I, I should have mentioned that point. You're going to yeah. kind of make sure that he's guaranteed to be that QB1 in a lot of ways, I think. Well, yeah, that, that goes to my Tyreek Hill point. Tyreek Hill is my number one wide receiver. The reason I have Tyreek Hill over a Stephon Diggs and a Devontae Adams for, for Tyreek Hill's side of the argument. Last year was great. This year could potentially be even scarier because of that offensive line, you buy Patrick Mahomes more time to throw the ball further down the field for Tyreek Hill to go get it. This entire offense could be on crack which is hard to imagine being where they've been for the past couple of years. And that would even benefit Tyreek Hill even more with even more deep ball shots to take. It's that factor why I have Tyreek Hill as my wide receiver one. He actually is being drafted in halfway PPR leagues as the wide receiver one, too. I was a little bit surprised by that. thought it would be maybe Devontae Adams with Iron Rodgers back, but it is Tyreek Hill number one. I'm right there with ADP. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue that. I, I have Devontae Adams as because I like the consistency and I, I see the clear role. You are the alpha in this offense no matter what. Or Tyree Kelly, you kind of have to debate who's going to be the alpha week in, week out. But to your point, where I definitely kind of agree with you, is you give Patrick Mahomes more time, he's going to be more effective and be able to push the ball down the field with Tyree Kelly even more. And add that I think the offensive line also helps improve the running game. So you go play action. You could even see big plays from Tyreek Hill more often now because the respect for the running game is going to have to kind of, I think, unfold a bit more because of their better offensive interior line. You're going to be able to have that threat of a running game and then have the protection on top of it where you can get Tyreek Hill down the field even more often. So, yeah, I think the upside is tremendous for him. Yeah, let's talk about that running game. Let's talk about Clyde Edwards-Lair. Now, I want to take a second because I caught a lot of flack last year for being... No, I guess not the only one, but being one of the few who is sitting there saying you're all dumb for wanting to take Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the 
first round or at least in the top six, which is where he his ADP wound up being for the year. And at Ebony Nation, if you actually listen to me when I said, let someone else make that mistake, I bet you're happy about it. I feel like I was the only one who had Clarissa ranked as an RB2 in the second round, which is where he finished. He finishes RB22 because I still stand by this. The Chiefs made the wrong pick. It should have been DeAndre Swift, not Clyde Edwards-Alaire because DeAndre Swift does gives you everything Clyde Edwards-Alaire gives you except for way better, way more explosive, and most importantly, much better in the red zone, which is what wound up being Clyde Edwards-Alaire's Achilles heel and why I was very confident that he would only be an RB2 and not be able to be utilized as such. Now, we'll fast forward to this year. His ADP is RB15. I have projected RB14. So I'm one spot ahead of ADP this year. It's all thanks to that offensive line. I still think Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to have some big issues when it comes to the red zone. I still question the idea that Kansas City doesn't wind up signing some veteran back who's out there right now, Todd Gurley and Adrian Peterson type, and potentially wind up taking over that red zone role because I do think he's inefficient in that area. But also, we've seen the last two years the Chiefs bring in some sort of veteran. They brought in LaShawn McCoy two years ago. Last year, they brought in Le'Veon Bell halfway through the year. I very much see them doing something similar again this year, either at some point during training camp or early on in the season, given some of the names that are out there that I could see them bringing in, especially for that red zone role. Because Clyde Rizler just does not have power when you get inside the five. He just doesn't. Now, that offensive line's a lot better, so he might not have to have the power necessarily that he would need to. And the reason why I have him improving from last year is I have a couple extra rushing touchdowns. And here's the other thing. I buy into the idea that the Chiefs will at least make an effort for more screen attempts. I don't buy into the idea that Patrick Mahomes is going to check the ball down more. It's not who he is. It's not what his skill set is. It's not what this offense is designed to do. I don't buy into the idea that with Mahomes having extra time to throw the ball, he's going to get rid of it faster by checking it down to the running back. No, I don't buy into that. But I do buy into the idea that Andy Reid may be more conscious of trying to get Clyde Edwards-Alaire a few more screens. So I think he will get a few more targets. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. He's a solid RB2. I don't believe he has RB1 upside because he's not an elite athlete at all. And he'll have those issues in the red zone, like I said. So I think his ADP at RB15, I have projected to RB14. That's where he belongs. And I don't think he has much more of a ceiling after that. So we definitely differ on our viewpoints of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, going into last year, I never thought he was a top six pick. So that part I will clarify. I don't think he was. I think that where he was. Oh, I he wasn't was, saying that you were one of the ones saying No, no. I, I'm going to say, I, I'm just going to make sure I'm establishing that even though I was a big fan of Clyde edwards Blair, I was never that high on him going that high. Having said that, I love him going into this year. I like the production. I'm not worried about a veteran being signed. Everybody kept telling me last year how Le'Veon Bell was going to steal his job. That never happened. Le'Veon Bell was not somebody who all of a sudden hit Clyde edwards Blair. his workload. Not really enough to really consider that it was, it was a detriment to his, his production. He actually got better as the season progressed. So I think that for me, 
And in, by the playoff time, you know, where was Le'Veon Bell? So I think that he kind of earned his stripes last year, and I'm not as concerned about somebody coming in and kind of stealing his touches. I think that he will be more utilized in the passing game. Overall, my biggest things that I'm excited about are two things. Number one, the, the improvement of the offensive line I think is going to be huge. People really don't really think about how bad that line was in a lot of ways. You had a lot of guys who were masked by having Patrick Mahomes be their quarterback, be guys who got been cut from other teams, have been basically considered bus Cam Irving amongst them, people who just basically were out there, and they, because of Patrick Mahomes was able to kind of save them, they weren't able to be exposed until that, you know, Super Bowl in a lot of ways. You have definite upgrades to tackle position in Orlando Brown. You have definite production um, increases in the interior. And I love the Humphrey draft pick as well. So overall, the versatility and depth of the offensive line, I think, is considerably better, which is definitely going to benefit the running game. And number two, I do think that Andy Reid does make more of a conscious effort. That's key for this Kansas City Chiefs offense when it comes to the running, running back position. When Andy Reid can historically shown when he wants to be effective and use the running game, a la Kareem Hunt, a la Brian Westbrook, they can be extremely effective. They can be very one of the top tier guys you can have. However, it seems like every other year he forgets about that and gets pass happy. So I kind of hopeful that going into the season with the production offensive line, with Patrick Mahomes coming off some, you know, a little bit banged up injuries last year, they make more of an effort to kind of utilize that running game. And we kind of talked about, you don't need necessarily the volume for Patrick Mahomes to still be effective because we're going to have probably even more big play opportunities because of the offensive line increasing and being better. So I love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I do think he has more upside than just being an RB2. I do think he has RB1 upside, but I'm not opposed to where he's going ADP-wise. I think you can you can kind of beat whether you take a J.K. Dobbins or a Gibson or some of those guys with him or over him, but I think it's clearly that he's he falls amongst those guys with a, you know him and Najee Harris. Those kind of guys are guys who you pretty much guaranteed they're going to be involved in the offense week in, week out, and you're going to be a safe pick. But I don't think that he necessarily doesn't have more upside potential because I do think that there's guys – such as a Jonathan Taylor, such as like an Aaron Jones, where he can match their production in a lot of ways. He doesn't have the home run hitting ability of any of those guys that you mentioned. He does belong in the. T- see that, I don't see. I don't. I don't think he has a problem with being explosive enough. I don't agree. He's not running a four three. Um, well, yeah, but I think, four six. But I've seen people be very productive, and I, the guy I kind of go to is the all time rushing leader, in Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith was never considered a guy who was a breakaway guy, but still had big plays. He's still way seen, more powerful than a Hilaire. I don't disagree with that. I'm not saying that they're the same back, but I do think that the uh, the idea that you have to run a 4-3 or 4-4 to be explosive, I think on an offense where teams are basically going to play cover three shell most of the time, you have a chance to get easily gash and get seven, eight-yard rushes here and there, which is going to add up real quickly for you. I maintain that from an athletic standpoint, Clyde edwards Lair is a better between-the-tackles James White. That is what he is. And if it wasn't for the fact that he was the lead running back on this offense, we would not be talking about him in this light. We would be talking about him as a low-end RB3, RB4, if he would even be starting for another NFL team. That's what we're talking about with Clyde Regalaire. He's only an RB2 because he is on the Kansas City Chiefs and he's the starting running back. He's not a Brian Westbrook, which is what everybody was wanted to project him to be last year is why they got so excited. He's, that's not the player he is. He's not explosive when he gets past the line of scrimmage. He can be a decent runner. He can be efficient, especially behind a good offensive line. But he's not going to get you a bunch of breakaway plays, if at all. And he's not going to get you a bunch of rushing touchdowns. So that's why it limits his ceiling to me to being capped at most being an RB2. And that is only a reflection because of the offense that he's in. 
Kareem Hunt ran a four six. Brian Westbrook ran a four six. Kareem Hunt has way more power and way better vision. I Knock just so I think that the speed is the the thing that we need to focus on. I think you're still going to see big plays. It's the combination. It's the combination of the speed and the lack of size. Yes, if you are a more powerful running back like a Kareem Hunt, a bigger build who breaks more tackles and gets out on the edge that way, then yes, the 4-6 doesn't necessarily have to hinder you the way it would. But when you're Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's a smaller guy to begin with, doesn't have that break t- breaking tackle capability, and you're running a 4-6, it's that combination as to why he is not amongst those top running backs as far as NFL purposes or as far as fantasy purposes go. Physical profile-wise, what's different between him and a, a Brian Westbrook or a Priest Holmes? Westbrook and Priest Holmes were way more explosive. Based on Holmes, Holmes was a lot bigger. Wasn't Holmes 6'1, 220 or 210? No, Holmes was 5'9. He was about 208. I think two, two, You're thinking of Holmes or are you thinking of Jamal Charles? Priest, Priest Holmes. And I'm talking about Priest Holmes. I'll, I'll look it up here in, in a second, but go ahead and make, and make your point. I was asking physical profile wise. What's different between a Priest Holmes and a Byron Westbrook and Edwards? Hilaire. Yeah, they're more explosive. Based on? Based on 40s, based on... They elusiv- didn't run better 40s, though. Based on elusivity, and their, their elusivity rating is also much higher. Yes, it is. See, I think he was highly productive and explosive in college, and I don't see necessarily why he's getting pigeonholed as a guy that's kind of more of a... Uh, slasher or not very effective and not a big play type of guy. I think he can definitely be a big play type of running back. He's never been. He was. He wasn't, he wasn't a big play guy in LSU. He's never been a big play guy. So I don't know where you're getting that argument from. Priest Holmes five nine two thirteen, a little bit thicker than a Clyde Edwards Alaire. I was trying to find his uh, scouting combine numbers. It's not coming up here at at the moment. Uh, give me one. So we're looking at that. Give me one second. I'll look up Brian Westbrook ahead and, and keep making your point. I just think that this comes down to the fact that you're you're a Swift fan over Hilaire and that you, because Swift's more of a physical gifted player, you think that's the really made mistake. I just think that Edwards Flair is getting kind of a bum rap in the sense. I think he can be very effective and just as productive. No, I think I'm being very, very objective and reasonable with where he is. And uh, Brian Westbrook ran a four five, by the way. So, much more, much more explosive than a uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire here. Uh, look, like I said he's he does a little bit of everything, and he is a decent, solid back. I'm not trying to make the argument that he's crap, but his athletic profile limits him, and he's only as high as he is because of the offense that he's in. And had DeAndre Swift been on this offense, we'd be talking about DeAndre Swift as a top five pick right now in fantasy football. I guarantee you that. Guarantee you that, especially after the year he had and the year he's about to have now. Moving on, because we still got to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit more. Let's talk about the second wide receiver situation out of the Chiefs. A lot of people bo- volleying it for it to be Nicole Hartman. It's not going to, I mean, to me, it's not going to be. I think it's going to be Demarcus Robinson. Now, ultimately, whether it's Demarcus Robinson or Nicole Hartman, you're drafting these guys late as sleepers or you're taking shots on. So it's not going to cost you anything no matter which direction you decide to go. But the idea that's going to be Nicole Hartman is laughable to me. Last two years, when the opportunity has been on the table for Miko, especially last year where he wasn't a rookie anymore, so that should have been the time he takes advantage of it, Demarcus Robinson plays a 65-45 split over Miko Hartman. They trust Demarcus Robinson more as a blocker. They trust him more as an overall wide receiver. 
Miko Harmon comes in, he hits a few home runs, but he's not the guy consistently that they want out there on the field. And they've proven that over the last two seasons. To me, it's going to be Demarcus Robinson, who I want to take a shot on. His ADP is wide receiver 21. I haven't projected that wide receiver 46. So I have him as a wide receiver four heading into this year. I actually have Miko Harmon projected at about his ADP. His ADP is wide receiver 55. I have him projected at wide receiver 54. I think both of these guys ultimately are boomer bust, hit or misses, DFS type of plays. But I'm willing to take more of a shot on Demarcus Robinson, who you can get, you know, with the last round of your pick essentially in your drafts right now, who's going to be on the field more times. That's going to be the guy who I'd rather place my bet on as a second wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I'm not in love with any second receiver in the Kansas City Chiefs just because last year, I, I don't see what changes from last year. Sammy Watkins was on the team. Sammy Watkins wasn't heavily involved in the offense. And he had been in and out of the lot based on his injury problems. I think this team basically is what it is. And when it comes to the receiving core, you might see somebody like a Byron Payne will be more involved. But I don't think this 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 Hardman making this jump has been predicted every year. For you know, We talk about Ronald Jones, the kind of hype he gets going each each season. Hardman seems to get that hype each season, too, and continues to flounder and not really do anything productive. I'll have a big game here or there, a big long catch here or there. Overall, this guy's more of an athlete than a receiver. And then while you have a Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to you, who has got a chance for a big play, we've seen that that's not good enough because that's where Robinson's playing. That's why Pringle became more involved as the offense as the season progressed. They even saw them bring in Gray as an extra tight end, so they have somebody to kind of take off some of the pressure from Kelsey being that always that other guy. I think that overall, you just don't really have a clear number two receiver on this team, and that's something I think that hasn't really changed just because Sammy Watkins isn't there anymore doesn't mean all of a sudden someone else is going to step up and be the guy. I think you're just going to see a rotation of different guys kind of be utilized from week to week, and that guy will kind of be the afterthought in the offense a lot of the times. I agree with that notion, which is why I have Tyreek Hill number one and why Travis Kelsey, I think, can actually put up, even though it was record-breaking year, a similar production to what he had a season ago. Talk about Travis Kelsey. Last year, finished tight end one. His ADP is tight end one. I have him ranked at tight end one. He is the tight end one. There's no there's no and if or buts about it. So this is the only interesting conversation we can have about Travis Kelsey. Chris, are you comfortable with the idea of drafting a tight end in the first round? Typically, I'm not. Um, but ever since Travis Kelsey became Patrick Mahomes' roommate, it seems like they just have this chemistry that's un- un- unbelievable and that Travis Kelsey is going to get targeted come hell or high water and he's going to get his. So we always kind of had some concerns with Kelsey kind of being consistent here and there. Where he'd have big games, but he wasn't always heavily involved. He's just getting peppered with targets. I don't think that's going to change. So I am comfortable. If you want to take a receiver, I'm not big on taking receivers in the first round overall. But if you're going to take one, and you, you talk about this in, you know, I think yesterday's show about a tight end, uh, taking a guy who would you take in the poll question uh, in the first round, you talk about taking a Travis Kelsey as a first rounder, because if you're in a tight end important league, having that better tight end than everybody else has can be more valuable. So I'm not opposed to taking Travis Kelsey as your number one in the first round. Yeah, when when I think about it in my heart, I feel very weird about taking a tight end in the first round because you're not getting that top running back, that top receiver, you know, the things you've been trained to take early and often. But, and, and I'll also say this, in the first round, I'm still mostly targeting running back before anything else and probably would over Travis Kelsey anyway, even if I'm in the later first round territory, just because there's such a big drop off when you get to a certain point running back, especially this season. But when you look at Travis Kelsey from the standpoint, you're getting wide receiver one, and top five wide receiver one level production. 
combined with the advantage at the position that he gives you over everybody who doesn't have Darren Waller or a healthy George Kittle. That's where I, you had, that's where it, logically he is definitely worth a first round pick. And the other thing too, is that if you're worried about his age, I'm not, first of all, tight ends don't drop off cliffs, normally speaking anyway, unless you're Zach Ertz apparently. And Travis Kelsey has been as consistent as they come. So that that's oh. and, and and also durable as they come. Go ahead. I'm gonna add one more factor. It's much harder to game plan for a team to take away a tight end. While they can game plan take a number one receiver away, they can play different coverages. It's really hard to take away the, the tight end from getting open and being able to be involved. So that to me also allows them to be more consistent in a lot of ways than some even the top receivers can be because you can double team receiver, you can play different kinds of defenses where you try to take away a specific guy. You can't really take a play defense where you can take away Travis Kelsey. And I'll just reiterate the fact that the fact that they did not add a legitimate second receiver, in my opinion, just speaks to, I think this offense is going, this passing attack is going to be built around Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey once again on a consistent basis. All right, guys, guess what time it is. The mail's here. It's mailbag time. Now, remember, you can always hit us up at BellyUpMDFFShow on social media. Get on the mailbag segment, or if you have any question, we will help you guys out because we are here for you to help you win. So just think of us as a 24-7 hotline to hit up at BellyUpMDFFShow. Jeff, first question up. Would you draft Mike Davis or Travis Etienne in a redraft half-point PPR league? So which one... I'm guessing he's asking which one would you draft, prefer to draft, Mike Davis or Travis Etienne this year? I mean, to me, in the PPR league, I'd probably have Travis Etienne um, because I think that he's going to have a more clear role in the passing game where Mike Davis is still going to be kind of undefined what he'll be utilized in the passing game. He's not. Well, you do, you think, do you think somebody else in Atlanta is going to take away the passing attack for Mike Davis? No, he's not just going to get all the volume. We haven't seen Arthur Smith really throw it to the running backs either in, in previous stops. So that's where I'm more curious to see how kind of he's utilized offensively. I mean, we didn't see Derrick Henry become utilized out of the passing game. They really didn't bring a, a third down back in very often in Tennessee either. So I don't know what his Dave, Davis can catch the ball decently. He's kind of, you know, he played the, the McCaffrey role last year in some ways. But he really isn't somebody that you necessarily are guaranteed he's a great route runner or anything like that. He's going to be heavily involved in the passing game. So that still, to me, remains what I'm seeing, where we know we've already heard about Travis Etienne being utilized as a slot receiver, being utilized as the primary pass catcher. We know he profiles as a better pass catcher than James Robinson or, or even a Carlos Hyde does. So there's more of a clear opportunity to be relevant in PPR leagues to me than there is for a Mike Davis. I'm with you. For me, it's it's definitely Travis Etienne for me. Now, here's the one thing I will say. This question is a little bit dependent on where what is the structure of your team up until this point. Because if you're talking about Mike Davis, Travis Etienne, you're probably talking about the fourth, fifth round territory. Did you go wide receiver heavy and you just need a solid RB2 to kind of hold down the four for you? Then I might go with a Mike Davis because early on in the season, we don't know necessarily there is a, a chance that Travis Etienne is relegated to just the passing game work. I still can't believe that would be the case after you spent a first-round pick on a running back, but knowing what we've heard so far, that is a plausibility. However, ultimately, if I'm just drafting these two in a vacuum, it's definitely Travis Etienne for me because he has more of a chance to be a league winner down the road because he has a pathway to take over from James Robinson along with having the floor that usually comes with a passing attack. And I expect the Jaguars to be one of the heavier pass attacks 
in the league this season too on top of it. But he also has a pathway to take over James Robinson. He could be a league winner for you in the second half of the season where Mike Davis, I worry about him wearing down later on. Next question, Gary. I have a six-pick. I'm considering between Jonathan Taylor, Ezekiel Elliott, Tyreek Hill, or Nick Chubb with a six-pick in his redraft league. So first, let me say, Gary, I think you can go wrong with any of those three guys taken there. But to me, I go Ezekiel Elliott. Four guys, actually. I'm sorry, any of those four guys. Who's the Oh, Jonathan Taylor, Ezekiel Elliott, Tyreek Hill, or Nick Chubb. I think that... You can't go wrong, although I think Jonathan Taylor probably the, the least guy I'd probably target there. But I think that when you look at it, when we talk about how Tyree kills upside that he could have, we love Nick Chubb. He's always been productive. But to me, Zeke's the guy I would go with because I think there's a clearer route where his offensive line is very good. He should be in shape this year. He gets thrown the ball. And I think that a lot of people are kind of underestimating what he's going to be able to do this year and kind of writing him off. Well, I think Zeke can win people leagues leagues this year. He's been still a young, relatively young guy. He's everything we were hearing. He's actually in good shape. He doesn't look like a fat guy like he did last year. Um, he should be more explosive as a result, and he's got something to prove. Plus, he's affected, like I said, more and more in the passing game. So overall, to me, Zeke's that guy I'd probably target, but I don't think you can really go wrong with any of those guys. Yeah, I went to Ezekiel Elliott for me too. He's my RB five and my fifth guy overall. So you have the sixth pick and a chance to get Elliott. That's one pulling the trigger on. To your point, you have a motivated, in-shape, explosive Ezekiel Elliott behind a healthy offensive line, and assuming Dak Prescott can avoid getting himself injured before the season starts, you have a what's going to be a top-three offense in the NFL, and a guy that, while he's healthy, as much as people want to you know, talk about Tony Pollard, while he's healthy, he's the guy, including last year when it was a 75-25, or I'm sorry, a 70-30 split between him and Tony Pollard. That is his backfield when he's out there and ready to go. And when he has a chip on his shoulder, you have to get out of his way. Plus, you know he's going to be involved in the passing game, too. Just an all-around back. So, for me, it's definitely Ezekiel Elliott. I do like Tyreek Hill. I do like Nick Chubb. Jonathan Taylor, to me, is not a first-round guy. We'll talk about that later on in the upcoming weeks. Next question, uh, Beria. Beria. Better dynasty pick, J.K. Dobbins or Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I think everybody knows where I stand on this. So, Chris, this is more of a question for you. So, I absolutely love J.K. Dobbins. And if he was on a different team, I probably might even go Dobbins on this situation. But I go Clyde Edwards-Alaire because I think you're always going to have questions of how involved in the passing game will J.K. Dobbins be as long as Greg Roman's there and kind of overall the Ravens' philosophy of the team. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. Finish your finish your point. But we got to put that out there. They they tend to utilize the second running back with Gus Edwards, Mason Ingram. They tend to have a tandem back to kind of utilize in, in the with the guy. Why Clyde Edwards-Helaire to me is clearly the guy in the backfield of Kansas City. He's definitely a prolific offense. So I go with Clyde Edwards-Helaire. We know where you fall, um, but I I think he's the guy because he does a little bit of everything, and you're guaranteed he'll continue to do a little bit of everything on a good team. While J.K. Dobbins still have questions whether how he'll ever be really be involved in the passing game. I don't need him to be in that offense. He was as consistent as they come. The second Mark Ingram was taken out of the, the question last year, even with sharing the workload with Gus Edwards, because he's that much better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that offense. It's not even a question for me. I have J.K. Dobbins ranked ahead of Clyde Edwards-Alaire this season and moving forward, because you know what? If they do open up the passing attack, it can only get a little bit better than what it was last year for J.K. Dobbins in the receiving game. But you're talking about a guy who has a true top elite talent running the football on a great offense with Lamar Jackson. 
yeah, give me J.K. Dobbins every single day of the week over Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Last question, Craig. He asks, who would you pick first in a redraft league, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, or Calvin Ridley? So I had a little bit of trouble with this question because I love all three of these receivers. I see all of my opportunity for a lot of upside. But I love Calvin Ridley because I think he's the safest guy. Um, I think that Lamb, we're kind of expecting him to make the jump, but you still have Amari Cooper. You still have other weapons on the offense that kind of can steal some of his touches in some senses. Um, I love Jefferson. I don't know the volume of Vikings week in, week out, what's going to be. You see Jefferson had some really big games last year. You also have some, some duds games last year. Well, Calvin Ridley is pretty much going to be the receiver other than Pitts for that team. So I'm going to Matt Ryan as their quarterback. They're going to continue to feature Calvin Ridley. So I look at Calvin Ridley as probably the safest guy of both three. Yeah, I have Calvin Ridley ranked ahead of the other two at wide receiver five overall. His pace last year without Julio Jones would have had him be the wide receiver one overall for fantasy last year. So I'm with you on that. The target share, his ability, the fact that he'll be that number one guy you know, no matter what you think of Kyle Pitts, you know that offense is going to flow through Kyle, Calvin Ridley first. It's that extra volume over a Justin Jefferson, let's say, uh, why I would have him be the number one pick that I would take out of those three receivers myself. That's going to do it for today's show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. We're going to be back twice again next week, Thursday and Friday. We're going to be doing a mock draft and our quarterback top five, bus five, sleeper five on Friday. We'll be doing a standard mock draft on Thursday. So that's what you had to look forward to there at 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Make sure you check out the rankings, which I'll have. I'll be updating throughout the week, throughout the month, really, on bellyupfantasysports.com. Check that out there. And make sure you're subscribing to us and following us on social media and always on your favorite streaming apps to be able to catch the show whenever you want. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.